right here. Galatians 4, let's get to the Bible, says, but when the fullness of time had come, everyone say time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through Christ Jesus. I want to turn your attention to the very first line. It says, but when the fullness of the time, would you just say time real quick, had come, then God sent his son. If you're taking notes today, here's simply what we're talking about. It's very simple, but it sounds very complex because our minds cannot conceive it nor understand it, but it's going to make sense today. Today we're talking about God's perfect timing. Everyone say perfect. Okay, a lot of you don't like that word. You don't like, because you just know I can't be perfect. Perfect ain't going to happen, so therefore I don't strive for it. But in talking about the Christmas story, in talking about Jesus, and talking about the season that we are in at this moment, that word is massively important. Because if it just said God's timing, there's a lot of things that we could weave in there. But when we begin to talk about God's perfect timing, then what we've got to be able to do, and we're going to do it today, is we got to take a look at the scriptures. we got to go back in time, and we have to see how God orchestrated this whole idea to come about of Jesus coming to this world. I know it's a time for us to celebrate, to decorate trees, to put up lights, and all that stuff is good. And I think God sometimes looked down and goes, wow, that's pretty creative right there. I mean, that's, that stuff's all good. It's good to get around and to eat food together and to celebrate. I'm all for gifts. But here's the reality. The Christmas story is a deep story of spiritual truths, a time of hardship where Jesus comes into this world. And when you begin to see how God orchestrated Jesus coming in the time upon which he did, you begin to see that it indeed had to be perfect, perfect timing. Amen? How many of you guys know timing's everything? Anybody know that? How many of you guys know the wrong word at a certain time could cause for a lot of trouble, especially if you're a married person in this room? And even if you're not married, if you're in a relationship, you say the wrong thing, you can find yourselves in, in a lot of trouble. I think it would be weird, although maybe not for some of you, it would be weird to put a Christmas tree in your house in July, decorate it, put gifts under there, and on July, let's just throw a word out there, 15th, gather the family around and open up gifts. Now, some of you will do that because you celebrate Christmas all year long. We pray for you repeatedly. I'm still praying for you. But it would just be weird. Why? Because it's the, it's the wrong timing. It doesn't fit. I'm learning as a dad in the Christmas time, isn't it amazing how as parents or even as people that in this time we begin to go back and we begin to really decide what matters most. Have, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that even if your family is dysfunctional, you're still going to get together at Christmas time? And then most of you are going to pray that the dysfunction doesn't break out. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, man, you thought Thanksgiving was bad, man. Wait till Christmas time. I have to open up a gift from Uncle Harry and actually put a smile on my face and think that I like it, right? It's crazy tension. Someone shows up late with the side dish that they were supposed to bring, so you can't start doing it yet. Somebody gets your kid a puppy when you don't need another puppy because you don't do that to people. I mean, you can get tension in a family very, very quickly at Christmas time. It's crazy, but it's amazing how still we get the families together. It's amazing how we begin to get very grateful and thankful for the things that we indeed do have when the Christmas season begins to come. Christmas has the ability to draw things back to a place of what really matters 
most. And I myself even find that all the time. The little memories, even though I joked about it last week, but it is truth. Uh, walking through the Christmas farm to find the perfect tree that doesn't exist because we waited too long into December. Everybody else has already cut them down. It didn't quite work. And so I'm walking in this tree farm going, what is Vanessa doing? She's making me walk this whole place. Why? Because she wants to create a memory. But she was right. It draws back to memories. This, this coming Christmas, we, we started a tradition years ago where we'll do Christmas morning. Vanessa will make cinnamon rolls and not the kind from like the little tube that you pop and it almost explodes because, but she'll make them from scratch and she'll do the cream and we'll, we'll open up gifts. And then of course the boys will want you to put together all of the things that you need to put together and then we'll hang out. But then every Christmas evening, and don't look at me too carnal when I say this, we go to the movie theater and we watch a movie and I fall asleep most of the time, no matter how good it is. Why? Because Jacob came in at 4 o'clock because it is Christmas morning and we're opening up gifts early. And we'll just go and what we'll do is we'll begin to have some family time. At New Year's, we'll begin to, uh, on New Year's Eve, we'll wake up in the morning and I'll start watching these movies that I don't even know if I even like them yet other than the fact that there are food to pick from every single day because my mother-in-law makes a great spread, but we'll watch all of the Star Wars and the certain order that you have to do it. And then on New Year's Day night, well, night we'll go and we'll watch like the one that just came out. Like all these crazy little things that you do that center back to being together, to being a family, to create. Are you starting to pick up on what I'm saying here? Timing in all of that begins and seems to matter. When you look at the Christmas story and you look at what Jesus did in coming to this world, you begin to see that there are three perfect things seen in the text. You begin to see perfect timing. When it was the time and when it was exactly right, Christ came. You see that he was the perfect gift. He was God's only begotten son. You saw that he had a perfect purpose, which was to redeem us all. Everything about Christmas and Jesus coming is absolutely perfect. Now, here's the thing. We all know that while God is perfect, we don't really live in a perfect world, do we? Do, no? No? Are you guys quiet? You guys have to interact with me, okay? I don't do good when you just stare at me, okay? I promise it's not a trick question. Do we live in a perfect world? No. Some of you like, man, you're, you're really good at vocalizing that on Facebook or in your car, but in church, you're like, I'm not saying that out loud in here. No, no, no. We, we don't live in a perfect world at all. We live in a fallen, messed up world, but yet God in his mercy and his grace chose to send his son so we could find forgiveness and find favor. He gave us his power and his greatness, his wisdom and his timing. He begins to do all of this stuff. And the apostle Paul in our opening text he begins to point out that the perfection of God's timing. Now, I'm going to just be honest. I struggle with God's timing. Is there anybody else in here that does? My goals, my dreams, my hopes, my timetable, my flow chart. Sometimes I'm like, hey, God, I'm ready. I don't know where you are, but we can totally get moving on this thing. And I get frustrated as if God's like holding something back. So there's times when I'm like, man, this should have been happening already. Point in case. God, we've been certified to adopt for a long time. Where's our little girl? We're ready. And then God's like, yeah, you're ready, but not quite yet. 
I can remember we were in Israel, and the whole time we were in Israel, I'm going, this is going to be great. We're going to be in Israel. As Chris Day would say, we're going to eat um, dirt food, which he calls hummus, and we're going to do all this crazy stuff, and we're going to get back because God knew that we had to be gone for 14 days, and if we would have got a little girl, that would have made it complicated, so we don't know what to do. When we get back, God's going to send us our little girl. She's going to be here before Christmas. Well, we're about three days away from Christmas, and there is no little girl in our home. And I'm like, hey, God, I'm ready. Now, on the flip side, when God does do it, the writing will probably like, be on the wall. It was perfect timing. You ever had a goal or a dream or something that you wanted to see, see happen in your mind and in your heart and not come to pass? And you find yourself going like, hey, God, didn't you say, Psalm 37, 4, that you would give me the desires of my heart? Well, why is this not happened yet? Well, I would propose to you because it's not perfect timing. We only get focused on timing. God works on perfect timing. But then there's times, though, that we all could relate where God actually does something, and you're like, wow, that was really good, and it was, was perfect. Today, what I want to do is I just want to give you three points on this whole idea of God's perfect timing, especially as we look at the Christmas story. And I think that if we look at these three things and we take the things that we have in our lives where we're kind of struggling to wonder, okay, is this going to come to pass? We're going to begin to see that God behind the scenes is probably doing a whole lot more than you think he is, all right? So here's the first thing that the Christmas story reminds us when it comes to timing. Christmas reminds us that God keeps the clock. And, and you can't forget that. God controls the clock. Now, let's get into the Greek here a little bit, okay? In the Greek language, there are two words for time. The first one is keros, which means an opportune time. That's where you seize an opportunity that begins to come your way. So you're out there living life, opportunity presents itself, boom, you go and do it. The second word in the Greek is called chronos. Everyone say chronos. I just wanted you to say a weird word, okay? So chronos, and that's from where we get the word chronology, and it's an orderly progression of events, watch here, when everything follows the proper sequence and is exactly right. So just to make sense of it, chronos is... There's a sequence to it, and it's absolutely perfect. Now, the word used in Galatians 4 is where we get the Greek word chronos, meaning that God had a systematic way of making this thing begin to come to pass as far as his son coming to this world. God orchestrated the sequence of events, and when the time was just right, he sent his son into this world. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its, what's that word say? Time. Some of you are looking down, taking notes, so I'll give you another shot. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, the mind of, of man cannot comprehend the greatness of God's redemptive plan. And God's redemptive plan had to start with his son coming to the world in flesh. So God, in his time, begins to do it. Notice Acts 17, 26. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Watch here. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. At the end of the day, we have got to understand, all of us, no matter what we're going through or what we're facing, God controls the clock. God controls the doors that open in your life, 
and he controls the ones that close. And some of us, if we're not careful, we get used to this mentality. I'm not going to kick the door, I promise. It's just a door. Where we're just like, okay, God's got his timing, and it's good, but I'm tired of waiting, so boom, I'm just going to kick this thing down. And you're forcing things in your life. And when you force things in your life, what happens is it eventually catches up with you. Or what you thought you wanted when you actually get there does not fulfill you the way you thought it would. And here's why. You tried to keep the clock. You tried to make something happen. Instead of, I don't know what that was, but it was cool. Instead of saying, okay, God, it's your timing. God, God, I actually really need this promotion, like, right now. Point in case. God, in conversation, well, why do you need it right now? Well, God, I got some things that I need to get. Why do you need those right now? My wife wants them. I'm just making up a story. It's okay to laugh. (laughs) I don't think she needs it. Okay, truth is, I want it. God, I need this promotion so I can get some stuff that I need to get or do some things that I need to do. And I think God sometimes goes, well, actually, no. What you need right now is you need to learn to be content with what you have and stop striving for more and doing so much stuff and going here and going there because you want to say you have something. What you need is my perfect timing. So do I want to promote you? Absolutely. I was talking with a gentleman this week. He's a family member of mine, but I'll keep his name private because I think he listens to the podcast. And he said, man, God's been so good to me this year. I go, yeah? I go, tell me about it. He goes, well, man, I was majorly upside down in debt. I had all this stuff coming at me. I had bills coming in. I had situations going on. And man, God just made it happen. And a whole year later, he goes, I'm out of debt and the future's looking good. And I, I listen, and I mean this respectfully. And I looked at him and I said, God didn't do that. That's kind of the response he had to him. I said, God didn't do that. He said, well, I don't understand what you mean. Okay, I said, okay, so let's, let's get the premise right. You said God helped you get out of debt. He said, yes. I said, do you tithe? You want to know what his answer was? No. Now, don't get this messed up. This isn't a message on giving. This is a principle. The Bible says in Malachi 3.10, will a man rob God? They say no. He says, yet you rob me in the tithe and in the offering. It then goes down and says that he gives, when you trust God, that he rebukes the devourer. Meaning God, if you honor him, helps you keep the job when everybody else got fired. You understand that? That's what it means to rebuke the devourer. Some of us are like, well, man, I'm, I'm tithing and I'm giving, but my financial situation ain't changing. That's not why we give. We give because we trust God and because his word commands us to. We're not giving so we can say, okay, God, you get this now. But here's the great part. In his goodness, he'll take care of you. But also, too, what we don't realize is while we're not getting an increase in our money, God is rebuking the devourer from all those situations that could completely turn your life upside down financially. But we don't give him credit for that because we're looking for the increase. Amen or oh me. Am I allowed to preach this honest to you guys? Cool, okay, cool, just wondering. So I looked right at him, I said, no. I said, God didn't help you get out of debt because you don't honor him in that. I said, what got you out of debt is you decided to work 80 to 90 hours a week. 
You got creative and found a way to make it. You did all of this in your own power. So I'm not going to let you respectfully, because I love you as a family member, tell you and lie to you. God didn't help you. Get out of your financial mess. You did it all. See, not a lot of people like to preach that, by the way. I don't know if you know that. I'm not saying that for my credit. I'm just saying, like, you got to call. When people say, well, God, if they're not serving God, God in his greatness can help. Let's, let's not get this messed up and twisted here. God's principles are God's principles. Every time. So what we have to understand is as believers in Jesus, we have an obligation to be honest with people. And be straightforward in love, by the way. Like, I wasn't, like, beating him up over the head, by the way. He still loves me. He called me the next day. It was great. But you know what he did? He called back and he said, I respect you for that. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you were honest enough to tell me the truth, and I've missed it. This is what you do. See, I believe that God wants really great things for him. But God, he can't go against this. This is his word. I don't know what God sounds like. He sounds like this. This is his voice. Timothy, it's his breath. If you ever want to wonder what God sounds like or what he would say to the situation you're going through, it's right here. Oh, pastor, it's too hard to understand. You know why God's, you know God's smart, right? Yeah, he's a smart God. Say, this is, this is hard to understand. You know the people that tell me that this is hard to understand, you know what else they do? They only come to church like maybe once or twice every other month. Uh-oh, got real quiet. They don't call anybody to help them understand it. Do you know that every time you come, hopefully if I do my job throughout the week, you can learn just one more thing about the Bible every single time you come to church? You know that's the point? Do you understand that's the point of church? Do you understand that when you come to church, there's only a couple goals in mind. It's to worship God for he is good. I love when God does stuff like this because none of this is in my notes, but I think I'm right on track here. Judging by the look on your face and the tension I'm feeling right now. Your job is not to come in here and watch these guys play music and not participate. Is God good or is he not? Then why, don't you then why don't you worship him? Why are you so focused on the lights or focused on the person doing it or, I don't know, focused on life that's just so heavy instead of coming to church here to worship a God who has been so good and so gracious? I'm not saying you can't struggle. Man, we all struggle. But you should leave this place a lot lighter than when you walked in. Thank you. But you know the Bible talks about actually doing that right there, by the way? You know that? Well, pastor, I don't lift my hands because I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. You got some time? I just need two minutes. Pastor, I don't sing. Number one, because you don't want to hear me sing. doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. You should be singing. The Bible says make a joyful noise. You're saying it's not joyful. <laughs> Neither is mine. Ask my wife. That's why I'm on the front row so none of y'all can hear me. 
I'm hoping that the gap from there to anybody right here just kind of just whew, hits that wall where it stops. But there's a scripture for that. You know, there's a scripture for actually coming to church on Sunday specifically in Acts chapter 4. It says, on the first day of week, they devoted themselves to the temple and to the teaching of the apostles. Another word for a pastor. So when you say church is not a priority on my list, but work Monday through Friday is, it says a lot about you. Ah, I didn't plan to say that. But I love you enough too. I'm not trying to be mean. And I'm not even saying too, listen, I understand too, this is Western culture and this is Eastern culture. I understand that some of you, you have no choice. If the boss calls you into work on Sunday in the season that you're in right now, you have to make it work. I get that. But you know what you should do? Believe God that you're going to find such favor with that boss that they're going to work around your schedule and you're going to be able to be in the house of God every single Sunday, worshiping, receiving from his word, not limiting God. Like, oh, I'm always going to work Sundays. No, you won't. God will work that out for you. We say God can do anything, yet we limit him on some things, don't we? So... How did I get here? I don't know. So, so all of a sudden, it's like I have a purpose for worshiping. I have a purpose for devoting myself to God's word and, and taking notes and, and highlighting and all that stuff. Unless you got a memory like my wife and you can remember everything. You're amazing, by the way. Um, I wish I could. If it's not on my calendar, on my notes tab, or on my to-do list, I'm an aimless guy. Amen. And amen, really like <laughs> Colette, I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> can I just like, can we just have just a family moment for just a moment and just call things like right down the middle? The new year's coming. And some of you, you need to walk away from 2000. Some of you need to run away from 2019. You need to run hard and fast. But here's the thing. You can't be running aimless. You need to be running towards something. And you need to be running towards the things of God. Listen, I'm, I'm, listen, we'll probably do a series. We'll talk about goals. But if you make just one goal, and that goal is to simply fully devote yourself to Jesus Christ in 2020, your life will never be the same. Yes. So anyways, in his perfect timing, <laughs> God keeps the clock. God opens the door. You can trust him. Secondly, Christmas reminds me that God's timing is perfect. said that a couple times today. But, but, it's, but it's perfect. When something is perfect, it means it's really good. Nothing's better. And throughout the Bible, here's the deal. Story after story, we see that God's timing is, is absolutely, absolutely perfect. Let, let's go back here, and I'm going to read this to you so I don't mess it up. But let's just have a, a Bible study moment on a Sunday morning to understand just how good this really is, okay? When God begins to deal with the forefathers of our faith... Watch how this works. Genesis 24, you have the story of Abraham's servant being sent back to the homeland to find a wife for Isaac. This gets really good. Now, feeling the pressure of the assignment and not wanting to fail, he kneels at a well in the city of Nahar and prays that God would help him do his job really well. Okay, so he's got this scenario going on. He prayed for the Lord to send the right woman, every single person in this room listening to this right now, to send the right woman to the well, that when he asked for a drink of water, not only would she give him a drink of water, she would also offer to water his camels. Now, what are the, who thinks of that? Like, hey, God, 
Here's the deal. This is what I'm praying for. I mean, what do you think the odds are that some young woman would say, hey, I notice you're thirsty. Here's a drink. Oh, smelly camels. Can I give them a drink too? But she does. In the story in Genesis 24, it happens. God was working behind the scenes, and at the perfect moment, he brought the perfect bride-to-be to that well who just so happened to ask if she could Give water to the camel. And at the right time and at the right place, God sends Rebecca, and she ends up becoming the wife of Isaac. Luck or timing? Later in the redemptive story, there's Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob, grandson of, by the way, Isaac. At a time, his brothers don't like him for a dream that he has. They throw him into a cistern to die. A group of people come along. They have a thought to themselves that we can make some money off of this. They sell him, and he goes into the house of, anybody know? Who's that? Potiphar. And at just the right time, he's in charge. And at just the right time when he's in charge, he gets back with his family to help them come out of the famine. Is that luck or is it God's timing? At just the right time, baby Moses was placed in a little basket. He set afloat in the River Nile. As he's going down, at just the right time, he begins to cry. Pharaoh's daughter hears it, and he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. At just the right time, Boaz came back from Bethlehem to see a foreigner named Ruth gleaning in the fields. She becomes the wife. At just the right time. At just the right time, David shows up to a battle line where a guy is defying his God and goes and slays the giant. By the way, on the 40th day, which is a period of trial and testing according to the Bible, and David shows up on that one, when the king wouldn't go to war, David went to war at just the right time. Listen, if there is anyone who understands timing, It's God. And in your lives personally, he knows what's best for you. His timing's right. Do you have a fear in your mind over something? If you're devoted to Jesus, listen to me. Fear be gone. His timing is perfect. Stop worrying. Listen, worry never got anyone anywhere except sick in a hospital, or dead. And sometimes not even physically, spiritually. Your worry will get you nowhere. Trust God. His timing is good. Number three. Number three, and we close. Because I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Thank you. I love Colette. Number three is Christmas time, or Christmas reminds me to trust God with the timing issues of my life, of your life. I love Psalm 31, verse 15. I don't know if you've ever read this, but look what it says. This is David, by the way, the guy who's going through just about everything you can imagine. And he says, my times are in your hand. It's a powerful thing to say when you're going through a storm. It's a powerful thing to say when you're running for your life because a king is jealous and wants to kill you. David says, man, I'm good. The timing issues, listen, 
When I say you can trust God, here's what you can do. You can trust that God sees the bigger picture. You know, guys, sometimes in life, and I know it's a, I know it's just a phrase, but it makes sense. God, God's got the 30,000 foot view. Do, do you know that? If you don't know what that means, what I'm saying is, is God, God sees it all. He sees where you started and he sees where your time is going to end. He's got a bird's eye view of this whole thing. But so often, so often, when we're stuck on this little area of our life, just this area, we feel so isolated, so lonely, so discouraged, so fearful of what might be. And God is up top going like, oh, if you only knew. It's like this, okay? Let me, let me do it this way. If this is the beginning of your time, we'll use the stage as a prop. Hi, Timmy. And this is the end of your time. And you're like right here in this troubled, disheartening, discouraging, dark time. Sometimes I think God is just going, yeah, but man, when you're right here, oh, you're not going to believe how good it is. But we're so caught up in this. All we see is this. And another year passes by, and another year passes by, and respectfully, you're still bitter. You're still angry. Respectfully, you're still playing the poor me card. Life has dealt me a really bad hand. And it's been years. I'm going to say something to you, and I think I've already been bold enough, so I might as well just keep this train going. If God is that good, then you should not be this way another year from now. Because if you are, you're literally saying, hey, I don't think God's really good enough to do this anyways. And then you start saying, well, if God really did care, this wouldn't happen. Well, God really does care. I read a quote this morning. I have a, one of my spiritual disciplines is uh, I read a sermon a day from other writers. I find, I find pastors who, who write their notes in, um, what's it called when you write it word for word? Um, Expository, there you go. So in other words, they, they, they write them out word for word. Manuscript, too, is another word. Uh, that's how I do my notes. They're all manuscript, except for today where I just completely went off of it. But it's cool, because I didn't make it up. And half the time I know God's speaking is when I couldn't make it up myself. He's much smarter than I am. So I, I read a sermon a day. It's just, it's one of the things that I do. So I find pastors that I trust that I know who spend time in God's word and have a, a history, a track record. It's like for you and your job, if you want to be great at what you do, you're not going to go find the rookie. You're going to go find the, the expert, right? And I just read sermons, and I, that's how I grow uh, spiritually. It's how I grow in, in being a pastor and a preacher or a communicator or whatever they want to call it these days. And I was reading this, this, this guy, and he was talking about this whole idea of what storms and hard times really do do for you. And he, he said this thing, he says, you know, if, if Christmas when Christ came was a day to celebrate, it's almost like when we get saved and we give our life to Christ, 
but a year goes by and we didn't make any changes in our life. And then another year goes by, we don't make any changes in our life. And then another year and another year and another year. Man, it's great to talk about the fact that, man, 20 years ago, God saved me. But the problem is I'm the same person today as I was back over there. And respectfully, I know Christians, people who go to church that are exactly the same as they were all the way over here. And I just have to wonder, did they fully submit themselves to God's word? Have they fully submitted themselves to the Holy Spirit, which is the very thing that Christ left us with when he went? Think about that. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in all things. Truth. Truth. So the things you should be working on and fixing, myself included, he loves me enough to correct me. The minute you stop being convicted when you sin is the moment that I fear for people the most. Because that means you have turned a callous heart towards the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. And friends, if you're there, don't beat yourself up because that doesn't fix anything. You get your heart right. You say, God, if you ever, ever point out an area in my life that's not of you, let me feel that conviction that leads me to change. So he was talking about how these storms, and he said this, God's not really concerned about your comfort. He's concerned about your character. And man, when I read that this morning, I was like, ouch. Anybody else go ouch on that one? We want to be comfortable. Listen, your flesh can get comfortable real quick because your flesh don't care. And when you look, you start living your life by the flesh, man, you start flipping out on your wife, on your coworkers, you start making bad decisions. Man, your flesh, your flesh don't need no help. Amen. <laughs> my flesh needs no help. But my spirit, oh, my spirit, man, needs a lot of help. So I read that quote, and even in my office this morning, I was like, man, God, I know you love me and you want me to, you know, feel good, I guess, but you care more about my character than you do my comfort. Translation, you care more about checking me when I'm wrong because you love me like a good dad would love his son. So it's like, okay, let's fix this and fix this and fix this. You know what happens when you begin to do that? You feel a whole lot better. Like God loves me enough to correct me. Oh, this is great. So it's good. There's a bigger picture. So I could trust that God sees the bigger picture. We, we know the scripture in Isaiah. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways aren't my. They're far higher. But they're important. So you can trust that God also wants the best for your life. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him and who have been called according to to his purpose. Man, if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, anything that happens in your life is bad. He'll work it for good. It's a promise. That's what Romans says. You could also trust that walking in sensitivity and obedience to the Lord will protect you from wasting the time of your life. You say, what do you mean by that? I've preached too long, so I'll make it very short. Jonah. What was the command that God gave Jonah? 
go to Nineveh, preach the gospel. Simple, right? What does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way to a place called Tarshish, which is always a fun word to say, by the way. He goes the opposite way. What happens? Because of his disobedience, we now have four chapters and 52 verses. Did you know that? You want to know why we have all those chapters and verses? Disobedience. Verse 1, God speaks to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Verse 2, Jonah listens, goes to Nineveh. Verse 3, a bunch of people get saved. Verse 4, they celebrate. Verse 5, the end. What do we have? Four chapters and a lot of verses because of disobedience. You will always add chapters and verses to your life when you choose to disobey what God is asking you to do. It did not get hard because God's bad. It got hard because you disobeyed. You added a chapter. Great news, though. Makes for a great sequel. Turn this thing around. Obey God. Thank God. Chapter 4. I mean, here's the thing, man. Jonah, three days in that fish. Three! Do you think that the minute you got swallowed by a big fish, probably by about minute 10, you'd be going, okay, God, I get it. Would you? It took homeboy three days. That was the extent of his stubbornness. But he got it. And now we have a great story about it. Obey God. Don't add waste to your life. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all. Everyone say all. In other words, you don't get to pick and choose what box God is in. He's in all of them. All of them. Look at your life. Answer the question. Is he in all of them? If not, great news. He's got your attention today. Start now. Be a great decision. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he makes your path straight. That's really good news. Because I'm tired of detours. <laughs> Anybody else? Tired of zigzagging. If it's point A to point B, I am so tired of point C and point M and point R and point T. I just want to go from point A to point B as straight as possible. And your life will be better for it. Would you stand? today as we close and I stop rambling man God's timing is perfect look at your neighbor say it's perfect Chuck Colson oh ooh, I like that keep going Chuck Colson told a story recently about going to Salem Oregon with a, with a prison ministry fellowship to minister to, to prisoners some of you have heard this story it's a fascinating story true story now, Kathy uh, Triacoli, I think is the way they pronounce it, she's a Christian singer, was with him to minister in song. The song was called, some of you might know this, called My Life is in His Hands. Anybody know it? Great song. Now, afterwards, one of the inmates came up and thanked her for that song. And this is what he said. He said, just when I thought my life couldn't get any worse... I received a letter from my wife saying that she wanted a divorce, but I trust 
that my life is in his hands. Five days later, Chuck Colson and Kathy were in Chicago, Illinois, ministering to her church over 100 miles away. Kathy sings the same song. She was, you know, traveling, same song. Afterwards, side note, that's why pastors, we get frustrated sometimes when evangelists come in and they preach really good and they say things you've been saying all the time, but because he said it and he said it a certain way, people are like, oh, that was so amazing. And the pastor's on the front row going, I've been saying that for years. It's kind of, I don't do that, but I'm just saying. Side note, <laughs> side note, sometimes. It's like when my son, it's like, I'm telling, and then his teacher will say, he's like, I got it. I'm like, I've been saying that to you every day this week. Just needed a different voice, that's all. Did you know the Bible is the same way? God spoke and people listened. Then they stopped listening, so God started speaking through prophets. People listened to prophets, and they stopped listening to the prophets. So then Jesus had to come, and eventually they tuned Jesus out. So then they started using Paul and all the disciples, and then they tuned them out. What's the point? The voices sometimes have to change, but it's what we call the power of the echo. Sometimes it's the same thing different voice. Anyways, moving on in the story, she sings the same song five days later. Afterwards, a woman who had never been to that church before, ever, came up and said, I really want to thank you for singing that song. My life is in his hands. My husband is in prison, and last week I felt like I couldn't take it anymore, so I wrote him, and I asked for a divorce. But I have not had peace about it. I want God to restore our marriage. What are the chances of that? No chance. Just God's perfect timing. Whatever you're facing, His timing's perfect. Would you bow your head?